appreciate the way that you've joined in our singing today. It's certainly been an uplifting service, and I hope we never take such opportunities for granted. If you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I should say uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 4, the Bible begins there by saying, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. Now that particular phrase immediately captivates my attention. It grabs my attention. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. You know, David knew that he was going to die. David knew the time of his death was drawing near. And I think we need to realize today that the time of our death is much closer than it was even yesterday. We have absolutely no certainty of life beyond this particular day. I don't know if you heard about or read about the big car wreck, the pile up on I-65 yesterday in Greenville. Multiple people were killed. Not one expected that yesterday might be the last day that would be alive. And so when I read this, the days of David drew near that he should die. You know, we're forced to think about our own lives. We're forced to think about how how brittle the thread of life actually is. But I believe also that passage causes us to focus our attention on our priorities. It should cause us to focus our attention on what's really the most important things. You know, the Bible reminds us that the things that we see around us are temporal, while the things which are not seen are eternal. So I want us to think about being very careful that we don't focus our attention so much on those things that are temporary in nature, but instead focus more on those things that are of an eternal nature, our, our future uh, once this life is over. The passage goes on to say uh, that the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged his son Solomon, saying, I go the way of all the earth, be strong therefore, Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments and His testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may continue His word which He spake concerning me. When you turn over the New Testament and 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, Paul said, watch, stand fast in the faith. Behave, conduct yourself as men. Be strong. Now in that first passage, David is giving his deathbed charge to his son Solomon, who was going to succeed him as the next king of Israel. David told his son, you need to show yourself a man. And, and David told his son what that involved. It involved doing God's will, being obedient to God's word, living your life as God would have you to live. David said that is real manhood. In the second passage, Paul was instructing Christians on how to be faithful disciples and among the instructions that he gave to those brethren was you need to behave, you need to conduct yourself 
as a real man would, not as an immature child, but as a real man. I think every generation has its need today for real men. And today we make a distinction between being a male and then being a real man. Over in the book of Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 1, we read the charge that God gave the prophet. He said to the prophet, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see and know and seek in the broad places thereof if you can find a man. If there be any that does justice, that seeks truth, and I will pardon it. Now Jeremiah apparently could find any number of males, but the instructions imply that he was going to have some difficulty finding a real man, the kind and the quality that's described. And since today is Father's Day, I thought we might deal with the question today, you know, what is real manhood? What does it mean to, to be a man according to what God says a man actually is? You know, we look in our world today and you'll see a strong contrast between the world's definition of manhood and what God says that manhood is all about. Now, two and a half decades or so, you remember Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford? Now, he was a real man, wasn't he? He had that fedora cap, and he had that whip, and man, he could get out of situations that were deadly, that just seemed like there was no way out. Now, that's a real man that can do that. Or you might think in modern times about maybe Dwayne Johnson. They call him the rock, a, a superstar today in Hollywood. You know, he is a real man. Or you think about that athlete on the field, you know, fast and muscular. He, he makes the play of the game, the hit of the game. And we say, wow, you know, only a real man could make that kind of play. So what is real manhood? Who is a real man? Well, real manhood today is not measured in physical power or proudness. It means more than being physically strong, you know, having big biceps and terrific triceps and being tall and, you know, broad-shouldered and so forth. We know the strongest man in the Bible was Samson. But Samson was a moral degenerate. He was weak in self-discipline. He was void of godly character. Or you consider Goliath, the giant among the Philistines. He was an awesome, physical specimen. And yet he was one of the idolaters that fell before the young boy's sling. See, it takes a lot more than physical bravery and athletic achievement and a good body build to, to be classified among real men in the sight of God. It takes a lot more than mental power and quickness of mind or wit. 
You know, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live with the exception of Jesus Christ. And yet you remember that Solomon failed to heed the very directions his father on his deathbed gave him as he continued to live his life. Solomon lived an indulgent life of luxury. Anything his heart desired, he made it possible for him to possess. And yet we know Solomon's heart was gradually turning to idolatry, completely away from God. He lived his life through much wastefulness. And finally, we know Solomon ultimately came to the conclusion that all of that was vanity and vexation of the Spirit. And today, there are many wise men of our time. We hear about so-called scholars, geniuses and some respects and you know we can almost envy people like that for the vast knowledge and so-called wisdom that they possess and yet they're very foolish because they even deny the existence of God they deny the moral principles that God has set forth in his word they're not real men May I suggest today that real manhood, Paul shows, is manifested by maturity in those things that matter. Behave like a man ought to behave before you show yourself a man. Do not continue to be like a child in your conduct and think you are still a man. Being a man, you ought to put away childish things. You ought to accept the, the duties and the work and the obligations of manhood before you begin to classify yourself as a real man. A real man is one who always accepts his obligations and his duties to God and to his fellow man, whatever that may be, and he discharges it faithfully to the best of his ability. You see, just being a male does not mean you are or necessarily ever will be a real man in the evaluation of God. As I look out and as you observe our society and culture today, it's sad to me that there are many poor excuses for men filling the roles of fathers today and husbands because they either do not or will not accept their duty to their God or to their wife or to their children or even the Lord's church. Well, what is the duty of real manhood? May I suggest that man is to be the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. Now, that's not an arbitrarily assigned duty, but... That's one that's been designated by the creator of the home, Almighty God. Doesn't that rule out the hempecked husband? Doesn't that rule out the domineering wife and, of course, the, the weak husband figure? We ought to understand today that God decreed that man is to be the head of the home Ephesians chapter 5, just as Christ is the head of the church. 
God made Christ to be the head of the church, and God gave man to be head over the family. And variation from this is a variation from God's design. And attempts on the part of some women to take over the home, assuming they have husbands, is to show disrespect for God's law. And the failure to assume the obligations over the home by the husband is another show of disrespect for God's Word. And of course, we see the women's rights perversity that prevails in our world today. We, you know, we don't want to see a difference between men and women, right? You know, we talk about gender equality. When we talk about gender equality, it's true. All men are equal. Men and women are equal. Man is not superior to a woman, and a woman is not superior to a man, and vice versa. God just talks about the different roles that men and women are to play in His divine plan. And just because one is submissive to the other does not in any way indicate inferiority. Yes, we're all equal. And yet male and female are both very different. And they must assume the roles that God has designated that they play in the home today. And I think people are very foolish who give heed to those who show so little concern for God and His Word and His plan regarding the roles of men and women, particularly in the home. But you know, there are decisions in the home that a husband ought to be man enough to make, not leaving them to the wife to have to make them when many times she prefers not to have to make them. Many wives have to make decisions today that they ought never have to be called upon to make because the husband simply shirks the duty that is his. You see, a wife has the right to a husband that will be able to lean on him for support and for direction. But you know, some families are like, you know, the wife, she makes the little decisions, right? And the husband, he makes all the big decisions. What am I talking about? Well, the husband makes the big decisions. He he decides whether or not America ought to declare war on the enemy. You know, he decides, you know, what we ought to do about COVID and the vaccines. Uh, uh, he makes the decision about what our policy in America ought to be toward, you know, immigration or the economy. Now, the wife, she makes all the little decisions. You know, she decides where the family's going to live. She decides what's going to be the husband's occupation and where they're going to go to church and how they're going to spend the money and, and what to do about the children and their education and their upbringing. You know, the, the little decisions she has to make. Well, that's not God's plan and God's design. There are decisions in the home that a, that a husband ought to be man enough to make. And notice we said here that the husband ought to lead. 
We did not say, and I would never contend that a husband should ever drive his wife and family. Attempting to be a dictator or a tyrant is not manly. You see, a true leader, a man that is a godly man who leads his home, he will always be considerate for those that he leads. He's always sensitive to their needs. He always thinks about and puts their interests above his own. He always practices the golden rule. And we know what that is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That you consider others before yourself. You put their needs before you own, before your own. You know, real manhood, I believe, exemplifies proper love. And we read those attributes of love so beautifully described in 1 Corinthians 13. Real manhood exemplifies compassion and consideration and interest for those that he leads. You know, there's nothing manly about some abusive brute that throws around his authority and he runs roughshod over others. See, only when he's a real leader is he a real man. But you know, the husband also has the duty to provide for the family the best way that he can. God gave man this duty to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. And unless there are reasons why he cannot provide for his family, it's unmanly for him to allow others to provide for him and his. Now, some men today are just simply lazy. They're willing to basically let their wife work themselves to an early grave while he loafs around and plays and does as little as possible. The Bible says if a man does not provide for his own, he's denied the faith and worse than an infidel, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. And I think there's some advice that ought to be given to young men and young women. Young men don't marry until you are willing and until you can carry the load. Young ladies, don't marry until you are willing to fulfill the obligations that God has given you. You know, we don't have a right to violate God's commands about bringing children into a home that's turned upside down by love of money. We need to learn to fulfill our obligations. Husbands and wives, because that's God's way. And then I want to suggest today that real manhood involves being a one-woman kind of man. You know, we live in a day and in a time when commitment is so very cheap. It's cheap in marriage. It's cheap in business cheap in politics, even in athletics. You know, here's an athlete that will sign a six-year, multi-million dollar contract. And that same athlete will sit out of training camp his third year for more money because somebody near him or that he knows is making more money than he is now. 
It just seems like that the spirit of our day maintains that that commitment only ought to be honored when it's convenient. But whenever that commitment seems to be inconvenient, well, you could just throw it out altogether. Now, as men, we must be and we need to teach our sons to be faithful. We need to teach our sons to be committed to their wives. You know, what is a one-woman kind of man? You know, one-woman kind of man, I believe, is committed with his eyes. You remember that old song, I only have eyes for you? That ought to be the theme song of every Amer uh, American Christian male in America. That doesn't mean that a husband will never notice or, or see other women because that's impossible. But because of the commitment that he's made to be a one-woman kind of man, he never looks upon on another woman in a way that would diminish his commitment to his wife. You know, Job said in Job chapter 31 and verse 1, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why should I look upon another? See, Job made that kind of commitment. And, and husbands, we need to stay away from those kinds of things and activities that would keep us from being committed with our eyes. You know, a one-woman kind of man is also committed with his mind. You know, in football, we always say the team that controls the line of scrimmage, the offensive line and the defensive line, the team that can control those two positions is going to win the game. That's true, isn't it? Don't matter how good your quarterback is or your running back may be. It doesn't matter how good your defensive backs may be. If those playing the defensive line or the offensive line don't do their job, you're not going to win the game. Well, the mind is the line of scrimmage in the Christian life. And whoever controls the line of scrimmage, the mind is going to win the game. And we need to realize that it's the mind where the devil always seeks to destroy us. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought through the obedience to Jesus Christ. You know, we in the church, I don't think, are doing a very good job, or at least a good job as we ought to be doing regarding internet pornography and things of that nature. This is something that is a real plague, not only in our world today, but it's something that is rapidly making inroads even in the Lord's church today. Someone has said, if you sow a thought, you'll reap an act. You sow an act, you'll reap a habit. You sow a habit you'll reap a character. You sow a character and you will reap a destiny. Real manhood involves being committed with one's mind. But you know, a one-woman kind of man is also faithful with his lips. 
A man who is committed to his wife is no flirt. He doesn't play junior high games with other women. He doesn't kid around ever about being interested in someone else. He doesn't make jokes about maybe getting together with other women. And, you know, that kind of joking might come under the umbrella, some think, of having a few harmless laughs. But there's some things that are off limits. And marriage is one of those things because it's sacred. It's holy. It's nothing to kid about, Hebrews 13 and verse 4. But you know, a, a one-woman kind of man is also faithful with his hands. You know, keeping your hands off the women is a great piece of advice if you want to be a one-woman kind of man. A one-woman kind of man is always very careful about how he touches members of the opposite sex. Why is he careful? Because he is committed to one woman. And folks, this has gotten a lot of men into deep trouble. A lot of men have found and are finding out that they have lost their position in life that they treasure so much because they don't know how to keep their hands off the women. We've seen in the news time and again lately about sexual harassment. You know, did it really happen or didn't it happen? Well, a godly man will always avoid that particular situation. That's why I always say it's always best to, to shake hands. You know, it's always best to shake hands. You don't necessarily say you love or care about somebody just by giving them a hug or a, a physical touch. You know, we don't show love necessarily by the words that we say, but by actions as well. And we need to understand that people can know that we love them and care about them even without putting ourselves in situations that might compromise those particular principles. And so real manhood involves being faithful with your hands. And you know, a one-woman kind of man is also faithful with his feet. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 to flee fornication. Now, sexual immorality is not something that you argue with. It's not something that you stand around and reason with. The Bible says you are to flee from it. You are to run away from it. A one-woman kind of man uses his feet to demonstrate his commitment. You know, David's sin with his eyes and his mind and his lips and his hands and his feet before he was ever involved in the sexual act itself. That's where David lost the battle. I think about Joseph and the wonderful example he said in this regard back in the book of Genesis. We know how Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph. And we know the story how when the situation was just right that, that Potiphar's wife grabbed for Joseph, grabbed his garment. Joseph didn't stand around to reason with her and 
try to argue the point. You know, we ought to get down and pray about this. And, you know, we ought to maybe study about this a little more. Is that what Joseph did? No. Joseph got himself out. He left his garment in her hand. That's how we deal with that kind of sin. And Joseph's example is one we need to follow. But then let me suggest as well, though, that being a real man is being a good example to follow. You know, we need fathers today that are looked up to by their children. They're looked up to their children because of their good example. The example they display by the words that they say, the attitude that they manifest, by the things that we, they do, the obligations they fulfill. You know, a faithful daddy is one in whose footsteps the children ought to be able to walk in and emulate. Breaks my heart to think about millions of homes today, millions of children who know nothing but maybe a drunk, abusive father. Sadly, many children grow up and they're afraid of their father because he's addicted to alcohol or to drugs. And their picture of fatherhood is so different than what we see in God's Word. A real man is an example of honesty and clean living and clean speech and being obedient to the laws and respecting authority and truthfulness. A real man doesn't brag how he outwitted the policeman or how he cheated on some business deal. Or maybe their mouths are full of tobacco or they're smoking or maybe every other word is some kind of curse word or swear word. You know, what can you expect from a son or a daughter that loves their father and yet he teaches them by his example to be the servant of Satan? Real men are going to be concerned for the home and everyone in it. They're going to make sure they make the time to be with their children and see to it that those children are going in the right direction. So many men today really don't even know their children because they spend so few hours with them during their upbringing. They're actually strangers in some ways to their children. You know, when I look at myself as a father, there's so many things that I would change if I could go back. There are many things that I know right now that I wish I could correct. Situations in which I wish with all of my heart that I had done differently. There's one area that I have absolutely no regrets, and I'm so happy about that. I spent time with my children. I went to their practices. I went to their ball games. Sure, you know, there were opportunities I had to maybe go to a gospel meeting here or there, and I did occasionally. But there'll always be gospel meetings to attend. There'll always be those situations where maybe I could have an extra Bible study or two because you could have all the Bible studies you want. We live in a lost world. Certainly we could spend more hours on our job and on our work and make more money. 
But you know, when you come to the end of life, you're not going to say, I wish I'd spent more time at work, or I wish I'd gone to four or five or 250 more gospel meetings. When you reach the time in which you die, you'll treasure that time that you spent with your children, trying to teach them and bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Of course, we need to have proper balance. But it saddens me today that there is some preachers that I know who've given everything they have to save the world. They've lost their families. We need to understand that real manhood involves spending time with our children. Real men are examples of morality and responsibility and purity. Real men do not commit adultery. Real men do not forsake their families. Real men show the dignity and honor of labor to their family. And whether one is single or married, a father or not, a real man is going to hold these things high on his list of those things deserving of esteem. But I want you to get to this next point as we close today. No man is really a real man who's not responsible for the welfare of his own family, including his wife and children. You know, the admonition to train up a child and bring that child up in the ways of God are specifically assigned to fathers. You ever thought about that? Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Now that's a duty that cannot be shifted to another. Others may help. Others may have to do it because a father does not do it, but no father is a real man who thinks that all he has to do is to provide food and clothing and shelter and the necessities of life and yet forsake the spiritual guidance and instruction. Some men today think that church and Sunday school are for women and children, not for real men. But they have it backwards regarding what a real man actually is. A real man is Christ-like, walking daily in the ways of the Lord, living obediently to His every command. You know, that takes courage. It takes honor and conviction, loyalty and sacrifice. But real manhood demands it. Being the family's religious leader is a sign of strength and not weakness. The failure in this particular realm is weakness and not strength. We need to realize that the world's concept of what manhood actually is, is in stark contrast to that one that lives his life nobly, honestly and truthfully with dignity and love for God and man. Now he may be small and physically inferior. He may be financially less blessed and everything else the world sees is so important. But when one does what God wants him to do, he's manifesting real manhood. And nobody has the right to claim to be a real man until the souls and the eternal destiny of his wife and his children 
are first and foremost His concern. And until you fulfill your obligation before God, regardless of what measure you may use to test your manhood, you're not there until God approves of it. You see, I think we do well to heed the words of David to Solomon as he drew near to death. David said to Solomon, show yourself a man. Listen to Paul. Behave. Conduct yourself like men. Be a faithful Christian. Lead the home. Provide the best way that you can. Be a good example. Showing those that are under your charge and in your care daily the way to heaven. So we wish all of our fathers today a happy Father's Day. And yet we hope that all of us, male and female, will understand our obligations to God are first and foremost. Today we're going to extend our Savior's invitation. You know, to be a real father, to exemplify real manhood, begins when one submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one does that when he believes in simple trusting faith that Jesus is the Son of God. He's willing to repent of his sins. He's willing to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of his sins based upon that confession of faith in him. It's only then, it's only by being in Christ and serving Christ that one can know he's on the proper way to leading his family. And so this morning, the invitation is yours. If you need to respond, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. There's a holy and beautiful city whose builder and ruler is God. John saw it descending from heaven when Patmos in exile he trod, its high massive wall is of jasper, the city itself is pure gold. And when my frail tent here is folded, mine I shall its glory behold. In that bright city, Holy white city, I have a mansion, a robe, and a crown. Now I am watching, waiting, and longing for the white city John saw. Coming down. No heartaches are known in that city. No tears ever moisten the eye. There's no disappointment in heaven. No envy and strife in the sky. The saints are all sanctified holy. They live in sweet harmony there. 
my heart is now set on that city, and someday its blessings I'll share in that bright city. Early white city, I have a mansion, a rope, and a crown. Now I am watching, waiting, and longing for the white city. John saw coming down.